morning, everyone. One thing that we're often concerned with in Buddhism, in the practice and teaching of the Buddha's teachings, is the depth to which we understand, appreciate, and attain the Dhamma, the, the truth, the goal. There's a concern that our understanding of the Dhamma might be shallow, and as a result, our attainment of the Dhamma will be lacking, inadequate, limited, not not bad or problematic, just insufficient or limited. For instance, it's it's a good thing to know about moral precepts and of course it's a good thing to practice them but sila goes so much deeper true ethics goes so much deeper than just keeping rules with concentration being focused being a understanding the Buddha's teaching about being a mindful and dedicated Buddhist, dedicated towards good things. So these are, this is a very good quality. But of course, samadhi goes much deeper than just focusing or even being mindful. In, a, in an ordinary sense. And of course wisdom, wisdom is where we have the greatest concern, the concern that our understanding be more than just intellectual understanding. This is important. If you read a lot or you study a lot, you come to know a lot about the Buddha's teaching. But when you come to meditate, you realize all that knowledge is, is nothing. It's good. It's good to know these things. It's good in a practical sense, even. It can help you in your life if you have an understanding, oh, all things are impermanent, this too will pass. Makes you a better person, a happier person. It is a good, this is a good thing. But we recognize there's a greater depth to be had than just 
knowledge of the Buddha's teaching. The deep, true ethics is activity that is mindful, that, that involves mindfulness. When you're walking, stepping right, stepping left, it's impossible to be unethical when you have the mindful, clear awareness of the activity. True focus, of course, then comes from comes from that sort of behavior. Where the body and mind are in sync, then you become very focused, and it means your mind actually becomes free from unwholesome qualities that you start to see clearly. True focus is not just being concentrated, but being in focus. It's that which allows you to see clearly. And so true wisdom is seeing clearly. It's not intellectual. It doesn't have to be a thought. Wisdom is, is light. It's like shining a light on reality. So that's just an introduction. What I wanted to talk tonight about was the Buddha's teaching on depth. The Buddha said there are six qualities. This is in the Chakanipata of the Nguttara Nikaya. Arahantavaga, I think. Mahantatta Sutta. Mahantatta. Mahantatta means greatness. Vepula. So the Buddha said, Chahidamehi bhikkhuve. Chahidamehi samanagato bhikkhu. Um, a bhikkhu, one who has seen the danger and clinging the danger and being reborn again and again in samsara. Who is accomplished in six dhammas, who, who, who possesses six, six things. Natchira seva mahantatang. In no long time will Papunati will attain to greatness. Papunati, Papunati Mahantatang will attain to greatness. Vepulatang, Vepula, Vepula comes from Vipula, which means deep, profound. Vepulata means depth or profundity. So it's, the idea here is attaining to success and uh, greatness in the Dhamma. Papunati Dhammesu, in regards to the teachings, in regards to the Dhamma, in regards to the truth, reality. It's not about right or wrong, it's about greatness or ordinary. You know, ordinary people are not bad necessarily, but there's nothing great or wonderful about being reborn again and again. Even evil people who go to hell and so on, 
it's not so much that it's wrong, it's just that it's ignoble. There's nothing great about indulging in sensuality. There's nothing great about being rich or even famous. Even being king of the whole world, it's not that great in the end. Going to heaven, becoming a Brahma is, is getting greater. There's a greatness to it, but it's not really great. It's not really deep or profound. What's profound is breaking free from the cycle, finding something that is lasting, stable, secure, safe. Because even being born a Brahma is not safe or secure, let alone being rich or famous or indulging in pleasures. So when we come to practice meditation, I think this is a great interest to us. How do we not just succeed, but how do we gain greater depth in our practice? I think it's, an, it's a question for all Buddhist practitioners. We might be practicing for many years, but it might be shallow. How do we ensure that our practice goes deeper? So these are qualities, like many of these lists of qualities, they're, they're a teaching. The idea is as you listen to the teaching, you're practicing and you're uh, taking these in, internalizing and, and assimilating these teachings, applying them to yourself and using them not just for theory, but as a encouragement and direction for greater and, and more profound practice. So there's six of them. And the Buddha used interesting interesting words. It's, if you don't know Pali, it might not be that interesting, but I have to explain because it's a little bit poetic. So the first one is aloka bahulo. Aloka is, is light. And so he didn't explain these. We have to understand them. What did he mean by light? And you have to know something about the Buddha's teaching to understand. But I already gave it away, that light of wisdom. Aloka means you have to have wisdom. But rather than say wisdom, he said light. Because it's a certain kind of wisdom. It's not seeing things with your eyes, of course. But it's the feeling of, of, see, of clarity and opening your eyes and leaving the darkness behind. like waking up from a sleep almost or when you open your eyes and, and, and suddenly realize that you're bumping into things and why you're in so much pain is because you were blind. Aloka Bahulo, one who has greatness of wisdom. So in meditation it's important that your focus, your attention is on understanding. It's not magic where you just repeat words to yourself and you become enlightened. You want to really try to see and understand. Of course, it's not like a book where you can just... Well, maybe it kind of is like a book. If you want a simile, with a book you, you, you have to read it. You can't force, force the knowledge out of the pages. You can't pick up the book and stare more intently, and the more intently you stare, 
more knowledge you gain. Meditation is kind of like reading a book. You have to go page by page, and it, the knowledge comes on its own. It comes in its own time. So rather than trying to force or magically make knowledge arise, or even you know our our idea that somehow you can make knowledge arise if you analyze, if you look closely enough. And rather than analyzing the book to get its knowledge, you have to read it. So in meditation you need a... You can't create the knowledge, but you have to be intent upon it. And you have to be clear in your mind about the nature of things. You have to have that as your goal. As you watch, you're trying to confront things. You have clear theory to back it up that's setting you in the right direction, what we intend to see, impermanent, suffering, and non-self. It's important to be clever in the practice. And not get caught up in doubts and debates and an analysis. In fact, often our, our search for knowledge gets in the way of our attainment of wisdom. So it's important that we put that aside when we practice and focus just on seeing clearly. It's like if you want wisdom, you have to put aside knowledge. You have to put aside any kind of analysis you might have. Just open your eyes. Learn how to open your eyes and how to see light. You need to have great light. You have to dispel the darkness. Ignore, avoid the darkness, which is all kinds of judgments and doubts, confusion. Don't let yourself get confused or caught up in views. Views, of course, very dangerous. Sometimes we judge a teaching and that gets in the way of, of appreciating the truth or any goodness that might be in it. Aloka Bahulo, wisdom, of course, most important. If you want depth, you have to gain wisdom. Your practice can't be just tranquil tranquility. If you're fixed or focused on the pleasant, peaceful aspects of meditation, for example, you will never get depths of practice, focusing on samatha meditation, focusing on peace or happiness or metta meditation, which is good. All of which is good. Samatha is also good. Yeah, but there's, there's a lack of depth. Your depth will never come until you gain wisdom and understanding, until you see clearly. Number two, yoga bahulo. Yoga is a strange one. But I didn't use the word yoga that much. But here he uses the word yoga. One should have much yoga, be full of yoga. So we have to understand the word yoga. It's not difficult to understand, but it meant something quite different from how we use the word in modern society. So in ancient times, yoga was a word they used for spiritual practice. The word yoga means something like a yoke, but not the yoke of an egg. It means a yoke as in a, a piece of wood that you an ox would 
Uh, they put on the back of the ox and it allows it to pull the the plow. So it's like a harness, it's a yoke. And so the idea was you would be dedicated or commit, committed. Yoga was this commitment, spiritual commitment. It's how I like to translate the word religion. You know, this word religion gets such uh, a bad reputation because of how it's been used. But when it's used in the sense of being religious about something, in the sense of being dedicated to something, intent upon it, I think that's very much what yoga means. So you'll often, I'm not sure so much how much the Buddha used it, but in the commentaries you'll often hear this word yoga vachara. Again and again, we're reading the Melinda Panha, and again and again he refers to a meditator as a yoga vachara, which means someone basically who's committed to yoga, committed to a religious spiritual practice, someone who is cultivating or is practicing in a spiritual way, dedicated way, right? Like we're all doing here. You're dedicated to your practice. So yoga means like dedication, exertion. I think it came to be mean, came to mean. So it probably has Im uh, implications in regards to effort. I could say an important part of yoga is the effort. And effort in Buddhism really isn't about pushing yourself harder and harder. Not so much. It really is about this in intention or exertion. A dedication, in a good word. You're being dedicated to something, you try again, try and try again, never give up. Doesn't mean you have to push harder all the time. Just when you feel yourself, they say toy, which means slacking or flagging. You just feel like you're lacking in energy. You don't have to force yourself. You just have to try that dedication and even when you can't walk so you stand if you can't stand you sit you keep trying yoga bahulo number three veda bahulo now i suppose with yoga you'd have to confine it more to the effort and dedication side, because Veda is, Veda is another aspect of religion. Veda is this religious feeling, Veda, Vedana kind of. But here it refers to, I think it refers to Sangvega, the idea of the urgency of the practice. If you want to really go deeper with your practice, it has to take on a sense of urgency, not just done as a hobby or a pastime, not even just as a matter of course. The Buddha said you should work to work to eradicate wrong view, view of self, view of me and mine. He said you'd, you should work like a person with their head on fire. Suppose you're wearing a turban, I guess, and it was on fire. You'd be pretty darn intent upon. You'd have a sense of urgency in regards to putting out that fire. 
Uh, the fire of wrong view is much more dangerous. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, where we're going. If we die without any goodness in our hearts, we could be reborn in a very unpleasant place. We could even simply be born as an animal, which would be quite discouraging. It's very hard for an animal to be reborn as a human being. Much more common for them to be reborn as the same animal again and again and again. It's just very difficult to do the good qualities, the good activities that cultivate good qualities uh, that are required to be born a human. So a sense of urgency. We're going to get old, we're going to get sick, we're going to die. Bad things could happen any time if we're not ready for them. It's very easy to get on the bad, a wrong, a bad path. Veda Bahulo. Number four, Asantuti Bahulo. Asantuti. Santuti is contentment, which is actually, funny enough, it's a very good quality in Buddhism. The Buddha said you should be santuti, so it's the greatest blessing to be content. And so the Buddha taught both contentment and discontent. Contentment, we should be content with food, you know, whatever food we get. You shouldn't try too hard to get good food, delicious food anyway. You should be a little concerned perhaps about healthy food, not eating junk. But you shouldn't be obsessed with it. You should be content with whatever you have. Clothing, you should be content with dwelling. We're having a, a debate over allowing meditators to switch rooms or whether we have to force them to be in the, the room. I don't think we do. I think changing rooms sometimes is important. Uh, but I think oh, it's true, it quite often is just because, oh, that's a nicer room, or this room is hot, this room is cold. But you have to be careful about. Don't get too caught up in luxury or following your preferences and that sort of thing. So contentment is good, contentment with uh, lodging, with with medicine, not being too caught up in being too healthy or worrying about your health, worrying about pains or this sort of thing. But asantuti is of course very important as well because it's easy to become complacent and this is in regards to practice, in regards to the Dhamma. Don't be content with your gains. Don't rest on your laurels. We gain a lot from the meditation practice. Should you be gaining every day? Every time you sit down, in fact, you should be gaining something. It's easy when you gain something fairly significant, or what seems significant, you become complacent. Even a sotapanna, a sakadagami, there were even anagamis that were complacent, and the Buddha said, uh, you guys are on the wrong path. He said, you're not really followers of mine. Anagami, you know. Well, he didn't probably say it like that, but he said, you're, you're not doing the right thing by being complacent. Anagami is someone who has come very far in the practice. Uh, 
he still, the Buddha still said, don't be complacent, don't be content with just that. Number five, anikita duro. Anikita, nikita means to throw away, or to, well, to put down, I guess, nikita. Don't put down the work. Dura. Dura means duty. Don't shirk your duties or uh, let them slide. It really means don't stop practicing. Dura. There are two dura, two duties in Buddhism. Uh, Gantatura, which is the duty of study, and Vipassana Dura, which is the duty to see clearly. Don't shirk either of these. You should study. Even just listening to the Dhamma is you know, that's how you study. It's a great way to study. Reading books can also be useful. But most importantly, of course, don't don't put down the practice of mindfulness. This means that, of course, in life, don't let years go by where you've stopped meditating just because you were complacent, or could be many reasons. You don't doesn't have to be because you're content or complacent. It's easy to get caught up in work, or relationships, life, travel, any of the ten palipoda, the ten uh, impediments to practice. Don't let them get in your way. Don't put down the practice. You read in the Satipatthana Sutta commentary about on alms round, the monks would take every step mindfully, and if they took one step without mindfulness, they would stop, and the monk behind them would know they were unmindful. And so it was quite, it kept you quite vigilant, actually, because if you stopped, then the people behind you would know that, that you're not mindful, so you had to try your best not to have to stop, so the monks behind you wouldn't know, or, or wouldn't criticize, well, you wouldn't feel ashamed by making the monks behind you stop. even on on alms round. They went on alms round, they would be mindful. And they would put it down, you have to put it down sometimes when you teach or even when you study perhaps. When you're talking with people, you, you have difficulty when you're eating. But you should you should try your best not to. Even when eating, try to be mindful. Even when talking, you can, to some extent anyway, be mindful. The physical act of talking is just a physical act, and you can be aware of your lips moving, of the feelings, and so on. Anikita duro, don't put down the practice. Not just in terms of days, weeks, months, years, but in terms of moments. Throughout the day you're here, you have the opportunity to, to take this to its greatest extent. Not even sleeping, you, know, you sleep less. Anikita, you don't ever put it down. If you do that, it's not that it's wrong to sleep or anything, but the greatness that comes from constant and continuous exertion, patience, and clarity of mind, this, this is greatness, this is where depth comes, you, you, you take your practice to a deeper level.
So that's what, that's number five. Number six is kusalesu dhammesu uttaricha patareti. Number six is kusalesu dhammesu in regards to wholesome dhammas, wholesome things, good things. Uttaricha patareti. Bhātaneti, coming to or attaining to, attaining, uttari means greater, uttari, more and more. Not be, it's, it's in line with not being content, not being complacent, the exertion, greatness, this is the Buddha's words, has to do with going further and further you know, not just having not just being content with keeping moral precepts but trying to be ethical in all of your all of your movements it's about going deeper and finding concentration about finding wisdom and deeper wisdom it's about not holding on to insights that you gain from the practice It's about the fact that practice is always changing, is always going deeper, it's always going further. There's always more to learn until you completely free yourself from suffering. It's an activity that's always about always adapting, always changing. The benefits and the knowledge and the understanding of the practice that you gained even today will not perfectly apply tomorrow because you have to go further. This is one of the important challenges of meditation is it's not a constant thing. It's not like samatha meditation where the object's always going to be the same and your relation to it is just about refining and refining. In insight, there's a refining that goes on. But there's also an adapting and a, and a going deeper, going further our relationship with our neurotic behaviors, our, our uh, depression, anxiety, worry, greed, and so on. It should constantly, we should constantly be coming to it with a fresh, uh, fresh perspective. Seeing, ready to see new things, ready to go deeper, ready to go further. So these are the six mahantata dhamma, dhammas of greatness and depth, way pulata. You want your practice to go deeper, it's just another way of describing, teaching, encouraging for us to dedicate ourselves to the practice. So that's the dhamma for tonight. Thank you for coming to listen.